0: Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to faith. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're in person, uh, thanks for joining us if you're online today. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, as we get started today, we're going to pray. I um, want to pray specifically for City Covenant Church this morning. Uh, City Covenant is a church that we partner with uh, in a number of different ways. And one of their their leaders, one of their elders who's deeply involved in a the ministry there, a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Clark, uh, passed away suddenly and unexpectedly late last night, early this morning. And so um, his family is feeling that deeply, the, the City Cove family is feeling that deeply, and uh, they are our brothers and sisters. And so we want to pray for them uh, as a congregation, want to pray for his family as well, and then just our time together. So uh, if you would, let's pray. Father, um, just (sighs) times like these can feel completely overwhelming. You have a young man who nobody is expecting to pass. And he leaves behind a wife and daughters, a church, a host of people who he was deeply involved in their lives. God, we want to pray for Jonathan's family, for your hand of provision, for your hand of mercy and help. Father, please meet them in this time. Give them strength and hope. Please bring healing. Please help the City Covenant family. Father, I just pray for my brother Samil as he's Uh, lost a close friend and is is standing before his people in just an hour or so and is supposed to be trying to preach and lead this morning that you would help him. And Father, we just um, pray for the situation in in Afghanistan. Jonathan was a veteran and um, everything that's going on there had him all tied up into knots. Father, we pray for our people who are stuck there right now. We pray for the Afghans who cooperated with our government over the last two decades, who are afraid for their lives, just for the, just the chaos that is there right now, that you would please work in the midst of that. As we take time and we explore your word today, please meet us, please open our hearts, our minds to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are uh, starting a series today uh, entitled, Say What? And uh, this is, uh, we, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of cute. Um, so uh, th- this is a series we did last summer, and, and we talked about this last week, and we said, hey, we're, you know, we're doing this series again. Uh, because in this series, what we're doing is each week, we are taking a different passage from the Bible. One of those passages that you kind of open your Bible and you read that, and you're like, what in the world just happened here? Like, what is this all about? How do I make sense of this? How is this relevant to my life beyond you know being something I find weird or just plain disturbing? And what we're doing is we're we're digging beneath the surface into the culture, into the language, into the history, and trying to make sense of this. And we're having fun with it, but at the same time discovering some of these weird passages are relevant to our lives. And so last summer we did three of these. This summer we're going to do three more. And we're doing it again this summer because there's more than just three passages in the Bible that are strange and difficult to navigate. And we could probably do this again next summer and the summer after that. Um, But we're we're getting after it this summer. This summer again. And today uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 19. We'll have it all up on the screen for you, but if you want to follow along in your Bible or on your device, we're going to be in Genesis 19. And today's story uh, is kind of a a string of one say what moment after another, after another, after another. All leading up to like what I would argue is the ultimate say what moment in the chapter. Um, However, I, I would contend Genesis 19 is more than just this bizarre tale in the lot of, uh, of somebody's life. That, that Genesis 19 is actually meant to be a story about the nature of sin and the presence of God's mercy. That, that in Genesis 19, we have a historical narrative that is trying to, to describe for us in detail how sin will impact and work itself out in our lives And how in the midst of that, God's mercy is forever present. Now, to to best understand Genesis 19, you kind of have to take a step back and start off in Genesis 18. So you flip back to Genesis 18 and and to summarize, you, you have Abraham having lunch with a couple of angels and having an audible conversation with God which in and of itself is a little unusual. At least for me, that's unusual. I don't know what your world is like, but um, he's having this lunch and this conversation, and God lets Abraham in on some of his plans. God lets Abraham know that he's getting ready to destroy the city of Sodom because the, the wickedness of the place and the people has risen to such an extent that judgment is now called for. And Abraham gets this news, and he's a, he's a bit distressed by it. And he's, he's like, God, you know, he, he says this to God. He says, Will you indeed swipe, sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Abraham's like, okay, you're getting ready to destroy this place. What if there are some decent people in there with all the messed up people? Are you gonna take out the good folks with the bad folks as well? And so God says to Abraham, I'll tell you what, you find 50 decent people in that town, I'll spare the whole place, which instantly kicks Abraham into Bedouin trader mode and he starts to barter with God. What about 45? What about 40? What about 35? And Abraham talks God down to 10. If I can find 10 decent folks in the town, will you spare the place? Sure, I won't send these angels you're having lunch with. They're going to do the job. You find 10 decent people, I'll spare the place. Genesis 18 closes up and Genesis 19 opens up with the angels heading into Sodom. And we're told that when they head into Sodom, they find Lot's sitting at the gate of Sodom, all right? So two angels head in. They find Lot sitting at the city gate. So it doesn't look good for Sodom because the angels are heading in there anyway, all right? And they find Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, which maybe that's the reason Abraham is so concerned about the place. He's got family there. They find Lot sitting by the city gate. Now, this is an important detail and it'll make more sense in a few minutes, but Lot sitting at the city gate tells you some things, The city gate is the place of of politics and commerce in the ancient world. It's where the people who were most influential in that town hung out. Lot is at the city gate. It means that he is deeply involved in either the politics or the economics or both of the city of Sodom. This is his town. These are his people. Now, as he's sitting here by the city gate, sees these angels come in, and he's like, hey, where are you guys heading? Where are you going to spend the night? And they, and they explained a Lot, you know, it's late. We're not sure we're going to find a place. We're just going to go spend the night in the city square. We're going to go camp, right? Lot's like, you can't do that. you got to come and spend the night at my house instead. Now, for sure, there's some eastern hospitality going on here. But when you read the passage, you get this sense that Lot understands the city square is not a good place to spend the night in his town. And so he presses the angels to come and spend the night at his house. And they finally agree to, they go to his house, they have dinner, and then after dinner, things start to get really weird. Our first say what moment occurs, it goes kind of like this. All right. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may get to know them. Now the question becomes, what do they mean by know them? Like is this like, bring them out. We want to interview them. What's your name? Where are you from? Where are you headed? What kind of work do you do? Or is there something more sinister going on here? Now the King James makes it a little clearer. The King James translates this as, Bring them out so that we may know them carnally. So that sinking feeling you got at the pit of your stomach when you first read that, that's there for a reason. In fact, the NIV is just like brutally clear about what they had in mind. The NIV translates it this way. It says, bring them out so that we can have sex with them. The word that we have translated here is no. Throughout the Old Testament, it is a word used to describe knowing someone both physically and intimately. So Lot has these men come to his house, and folks from the town come to Lot's house, and they're like, hey, you need to send these guys out here because we're going to have sex with them. And please notice that this isn't some act that's perpetrated by the minority of of the, the, the town. No, Genesis says to us, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. This this is, the whole city shows up at Lot's house. They start banging on the door. They start ringing the bell. They're blowing up his phone. They're shouting through the window, hey Lot, Bring out, the, we saw you bring that fresh meat into your house tonight. Send them on out here on our front porch so we've got something, something for them. Lot is living in a town where the gang rape of strangers is considered to be a community event. Now, you remember back in Genesis 18, God says, you find 10 decent people, I'll spare the place. It doesn't look good. Right? When a whole town shows up for this, we doesn't look good, like Abraham's going to find you know, 10 decent people in that town. That's why the angels are there. So Lot comes out onto the front porch. Right? he just, shoo, 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 what are you guys doing? Stop this. Lot says to them, he says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Now don't miss this. I beg you who? My brothers. Again, Lot is deeply connected to this place these are his people this is his town and and because of that while lot may not be as far gone as the people he's living in this town with lot is is broken in his thinking just like the people living in this town are when it comes to how he thinks about sexuality and you're like well how in the world do you know that Listen to what Lot says next. If you think things were messed up so far, buckle in. Here's how Lot responds. He says, behold, I have two daughters who have never known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Say what? Like all the dads with daughters in the room. You, know, you read this and you're like, what? In the world. Here's the deal. I told you, Genesis 19 is a story about the nature of sin and the presence of God's mercy. We're beginning to see the nature of sin right here. See, the nature of sin is such, it's contagious, if you would. And, and let, let me explain a little bit further what I mean by that. Like, if, if I'm not following Jesus, if my sin, if the, the brokenness that lives within me is the dominating, directing force in my life, and you're regularly engaged in relationship with me, it's just a matter of time before my sin's going to rub off onto you and work its way into your world. And, and please don't misunderstand me. I, I'm, I'm not saying that if you're somebody who's following Jesus, you never have any kind of relationship with somebody who's not following Jesus. That's not realistic. It's not possible. It's not biblical but i am saying if the overwhelming majority of relationships in my life or if the most significant relationships in my life are with people who are not following jesus who are with people who are following hard after something else it is just a matter of time before the way that they think and behave is going to impact the way that i think and behave this is what happened a lot here <laughs> This town became his town. These people became his people. And when you live in a town and you make it your town, and when you're living with people and you make them your people, and these are the kind of people who think the gang rape of strangers is an acceptable kind of community event, it's just a matter of time before it's going to rub off on you. And unfortunately, the ones who are going to pay for this are Lot's daughters. But this is how sin works. So Lot's out there, he's trying to talk this crowd down, right? And, and the crowd responds. And he's like, hey, don't do this thing, don't act so wickedly. And, and they say to him, stand back. You know, in other words, get out of our way. And then they tell Lot, they said, they they say to each other, they're like, this fellow came to sojourn, and he's become our judge. Like, who do you think you are? And then they say it a lot next. They, they get ugly. They're like, now we will deal worse with you than with them. They're like, Lot, get out of our way. I don't know who you are talking to us. And if you don't move it, buddy, you think it's going to be ugly with them? Wait till you see what we do to you first. And you're like, I thought these were his brothers. I thought these were his people. I thought this was his town. Again. This is the nature of sin. See, Lot comes to these folks and he confronts them. And and, and mind you, when Lot does so, he's not hateful. He's not nasty. He's not mean. He's not demeaning in any kind of way. But Lot has the audacity to define morality and sexuality differently than his neighbor's. Lot has the audacity to say to them that what they are doing is out of bounds. That it does not line up with God's design for their lives. And when he does, they become angry. They begin to threaten him. And they're getting ready to destroy the man. And here's the thing. This isn't something reserved to Genesis. We still see this in our culture all the time today. Certain segments of our culture, if you have the audacity to point out that this isn't right. If you have the audacity to define morality differently. If you have the audacity to to stand up and say, hey, God designed life to be lived this way, not that way. There are people who become very angry with you, who will threaten you, or who will seek to destroy you. In fact, one of the best ways that I can get a sense is, is something genuinely wrong with me. Is there something significantly sinful going on in my life? Is based on how I respond to somebody when they point that out to me. So lots out on the front porch. Things are spiraling out of control, right? And so the angels, they step in. They they reach out their hands, they bring Lot into the house, they shut the door. And then we're told that they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Now, if this isn't the height of depravity on display, I don't know what is. These men have just been struck blind. And they're still groping around trying to find somebody, right? Like if I've been struck blind, I need to figure out why it is that I can't see, not who I'm going to get with next, right? These guys are wearing themselves out looking for the door. You're like, what is wrong with them? Nothing different than what's wrong with all kinds of folks. See, the the nature of sin is such I can begin to feel the negative impact that it has on my life. I I, I can begin to sense, hey, this is not good for me. I can begin to feel some of the consequences. But it it will leave me still chasing that thing. This is why you'll see somebody move from one toxic relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. This, This is why you will see somebody who will just destroy their life financially and still continue to spend above their means this is why you will see somebody whose life has just been decimated by an addiction and they still continue to use because the nature of sin is such that it will cause us to wear ourselves out groping chasing after it so angels they take care of the folks on the front porch they say a Lot, hey, do you have anybody in this town that you need to warn about this? And Lot's like, well, I mean, I got these two guys who are supposed to marry my daughters. I should probably tell them. And I, it doesn't say it in the text. I always wonder, did Lot say to the angels, hey, the, the whole conversation on the front porch, can we just keep that between us, you know? Um, but he goes to his sons-in-laws to be. And Lot warns them. He's like, hey, hey, get up, get out of this place. For the Lord is about to destroy the city. But we're told he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. Lot goes to these guys and he's like, let me try and explain to you about morality and about sin and about consequences and about judgment. And they laugh it off. It's a joke to them. It's just something to be mocked to them. So the next morning, the angels are getting ready to go nuclear on Sodom. And they, they, they come to Lot. And they say to him, Up! Take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. The angels are like, you got to get out of here. We're getting ready to level this place. You need to get out, or you're going to wind up like everybody else. And Lot... Lingered. Lot lollygagged. Lot hung around. You're like, what is he doing? Lot's going well. I know they're telling me judgment's coming. But this is my place. This is my people. See, the nature of sin is such that it will cause us to lose a sense of urgency in dealing with what we need to deal with. It will cause us to see all the benefits that come with what we're doing, all the advantages that come with what we're doing, all the, the reasons, the excuses for why we're behaving the way we are. The nature of sin is such that it will cause a person to linger. Well, the angels, they're they're not having it. They're like, "Uh uh-uh, it is not going down this way. And so the, the angels, we're told, they grab Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful to them. And they bring them outside of the city. And they brought them out and said to them, escape for your life. Do not look back. Do not stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be slept away. And what does Lot do? Lot says to them, you're like, what is wrong with this guy, right? Lot says to them, oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. It's a little one. Let me escape there. It's a little one, right? My life will be saved. So, here's Lot, right? He has been pulled out of the city. He has escaped judgment. He has been told, get his Far away from this place as you can. Get out of the valley. Go beyond the valley. See those hills way, way out there. Get up way into the hills. And Lot's like, well, I'll get out of the valley, but couldn't I stay in this city just outside of the valley? It's a little place. Can't I just go there instead? You're like, what is Lot doing? Well, chances are Lot's going... I don't know, I mean, yeah, Sodom wasn't perfect, but had some good times there, and I know the angels say they're going to just level the place completely, but what if they don't? I mean, what if they're overstating what's going to happen here? If I go all the way to the hills, ah, it's a long way off. If I, if I go to this city just outside the blast zone here, I mean, just in case I can leave my options open. See, see, lots like the person who gets out of the toxic relationship, but he keeps that person's name in his contacts, just in case. Lots like the person who's like, I cannot control my spending. Dave Ramsey tells me all the credit cards got to go. I'm going to cut up all of them but one, just in case I have an emergency. Lots, lot's of the guy was like, hey, I know I can't control my drinking. I'm going to get all the bottles out of the house except this one that I'm going to keep for medicinal purposes. He's told, get away, as, get as far away from Sodom as you can. And he's like, I'm going to get just far enough away to keep my options open just in case. Crazy to me, but the angels say, okay, you can go to that city. They say to him, Escape there quickly. When the angel says, For I can do nothing till you arrive there. Now, I, I want to stop here for a second. Because up until now, we've just been like, hey, here's a nature of sin, and here's a nature of sin, and here's a nature of sin, and here's a nature, nature of sin. Again, at the beginning we said, sure, this is a story about the nature of sin. But we also said this is a story about the presence of God's mercy. And maybe you've seen it as we've been working along, maybe you haven't. We're going to point some of it out now. But this statement especially just screams about the presence of God's mercy. Think about this. We've got Lot living in Sodom. A town where the gang rape of strangers is considered a community event and you better not tell us anything different about it. Not only does Lot live there, he is a community leader there. This is his town. These are his people. So much so that in his mind, a perfectly good option for what what they're going to do to his houseguests is to subject his daughters to that abuse instead. Lot is warned about the coming judgment. Lot is pulled out of the city. Lot is told to escape as far as he possibly can. Now, you think about when Lot is living there, Lot is fully invested in the place. Lot offers his daughters up to judgment. When Lot is warned, Lot lollygags. He lingers. And when he's finally pulled out, he's like, hey, let me stay as close as I can and still not get blasted. Like, Lot deserves judgment. But instead, he receives mercy. And, and just so we're on the same page, let, let's define mercy together. Let's, let's, let's get a working definition for mercy. All right, Mercy is when I don't experience the negative consequences that I deserve to experience. Mercy is when I do something and, and every right to be thumped for what I've done. And I don't get thumped. I've done something, there are negative consequences associated with that behavior that I should feel and I don't. That's mercy. Lot deserves judgment, same as the folks of Sodom. God shows up and warns Lot that judgment is coming. That is mercy. When Lot lingers there in Sodom, God grabs him by the hand and drags him and his family's nasty butts out of that place instead of leaving them there. That is mercy. And the bread of Lot's life is buttered so thick with the mercy of God that when, when Lot says, hey, I want to stay as close to Sodom as I can without getting burned, the angel says to him, hey, d- go. go, go, escape there quickly for I can do nothing till you arrive there. In other words, hey, God is withholding the judgment that he's going to pour out on this place until you get out of the way. That's mercy. Throughout this chapter, you see the mercy of God again and again and again just pouring itself out in Lot's life. Not because Lot has done anything to deserve it. But that's the nature of mercy, right? He did not done anything to deserve it. God's pouring it out anyway. Because the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, is a God who is rich in mercy. So, narrative ends. With one last say what moment. I would contend it's the weirdest one of the bunch. It ends this way. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants in the cities. And what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now you read this and you go, okay, we've got this cataclysmic event taking place, right? Fire and sulfur raining down out of heaven onto this town. Lot and his family, they're just outside of the blast radius. Their senses are being assaulted with this. They can hear it. They can feel the heat. They can can taste the ash on their tongues. They can smell the sulfur in the air. And you're telling me, one, that Lot's wife is the only one of the four of them who peeked over her shoulder to take a look at what's going on back there? And that, two, for simply peeking over her shoulder, she was reduced to a pillar of salt. Say, what? Actually, no, that's not what I'm telling you. And before you get all panicking, you're like, oh my goodness, he's questioning the historicity of the text. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is that we have a figure of speech being used here in the text. A figure of speech that the original writer understood because he used it. A figure of speech that the original audience understood. A figure of speech that the first century Jews understood, but one that we don't understand typically today, which causes us to misunderstand what took place here. Now, to demonstrate this, we want to look ahead to Jesus, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is always teaching. Luke 17, he's teaching, he's teaching about the kind of things that are going to happen just before his second coming to earth. So as Jesus is teaching, he says this. He says, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So as Jesus is talking, again, he's talking about what's going to happen just before his second coming. All right, he, he refers to the very passage that we've been unpacking this morning. And Jesus says, you know, what, what happened with Lot, same kind of stuff is going to happen just before he comes a second time. And then Jesus says this. He says, it will be just like this the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should not go in to get them. Likewise, the one who was in the field should not go back for anything, right? So Jesus like, listen, the cataclysmic event that is gonna precede my second coming, when that event happens, like if you're, if you're out on the front porch, don't go back in the house to get your wallet. You're working out on the lawn in the front yard. Do not go back in the house for a change of clothes. And then Jesus says this. He says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. When Jesus says that, he's connecting the behaviors he's just described. Behaviors like going back into the house from the roof, going back into the house from the field. He's he's connecting that with what happened with Lot's wife and her behavior at Sodom. See, when the writer of Genesis says, Lot's wife looked back, I'm contending, according to Jesus, that is a figure of speech. You have a woman who is warned of the, the coming judgment, who has, who's, They've done everything they can to create a sense of urgency in her. They pull her out of the town by hand. They tell her to get as far away from that place as she can. And she's thinking, I had a lot of good times in Sodom. That's my town. And I don't see anything happening there. I bet you these angels, they're just exaggerating. And even if something does happen there, it'll be different for me. And so just like the person who Jesus is describing, who went back into the house from the field, who went back into the house from the rooftop, Lot's wife, she didn't just peek over her shoulder. She went back into Sodom. And when the angels rained down fire and sulfur from heaven and that town was reduced to a salt mine, she went down with everybody else there. And in that, we see one more lesson about sin and one more lesson about mercy. See, sin is, it's always there. You can can get pulled out of the fire and it's still there. Reminding you of all the good times. Telling you, all, all, all the nay saying is just an exaggeration. Telling you, you'll be different Sin is always there inviting us to go back to Sodom. Not to peek over our shoulder, to walk back in. And mercy. For sure, God's mercies are new every morning. But there are things that I can do, there are decisions that I can make. That will cause the judgment of God to become unavoidable in my life. I can can choose to disregard God's mercy to such an extent that the consequences are going to be felt. And, And that does not mean that I cannot repent. That does not mean that I cannot receive forgiveness. But what I need to understand is that repentance and forgiveness it's not some magic wand that i wave over my life and make all the consequences go away if i choose to i can disregard god's mercy to such an extent that judgment becomes unavoidable and so jesus is going hey hey when you're tempted when you're tempted to downplay the seriousness of sin when you're tempted to blow off god's mercy in your life Remember Lot's wife. See, the story of Genesis, on the, uh, Genesis 19, on the surface, it just seems like this weird, bizarre tale. But you dig in a little bit, and what you find is a story about the nature of sin and a story about the presence of God's mercy story that tells us sin is always there it's always inviting us it's trying to get us to linger it's trying to reduce the sense of urgency it's trying to get us to come back but it's a story that reminds us that God's mercy is there warning us trying to create that sense of urgency Taking us by the hand. It's a story that reminds us that God is going to do anything short of violating our will in an effort to make his mercy available to you and to me. Would you pray with me? Father, some of us today, as we hear this story, we just want to cry out to you, thank you. For your mercy. Thank you for all of the ways your mercy has poured itself out in our lives, all the consequences that we've avoided because of you. Father, for others of us here here this morning, there's a sin that we've been wrestling with. And we've made light of mercy. And we need that sense of urgency to deal with this thing. It's just in the quietness of our hearts, Father. We want to name that before you. We want to ask you to help us. Not because we deserve it, but because you're God of mercy. And Father, for some of us here today or or watching online, we've never surrendered our lives to Christ, received his forgiveness in full. We've never completely taken advantage of the mercy of God in a way that you meant us to. And so today, we just confess we are broken. Our sin has been the dominant directing force in our lives God forgive us please we cannot fix this ourselves we need a savior we need Jesus we want to put our hope our trust our faith in his life his death his resurrection we want to surrender ourselves to following him We want the mercy of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.